Would you bow with me in prayer? Most gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to this time in this service where we open up your word and seek to learn from you, Father, would you humble our hearts? Father, give us teachable spirits. Father, help us to listen attentively to you, to your word. Father, help us to expect you to work in our hearts and lives through your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You will open up in your Bible to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 7 through 10 today. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Gospel community, a spirit-induced eternal perspective. I want you to consider an athlete for a moment. What motivates her to train well and not give up when her body aches? Well, it's the trophy that awaits at the end of the season, right? Consider the student. What motivates him to study hard and not give up when he's just exhausted? Well, it's the diploma, right, at the end of his senior year. Consider the farmer, if you will. What motivates him to plant the seed and not give up watering that seed and caring for that plant when the summer sun is just blazing up? motivates her? What motivates him to love and serve others in the church and even outside of the church when it's hard, when it's difficult, when you just get worn down and are tired? Well, it's the eternal reward at the end of this life. It's the eternal reward at the end of this life. Today, we're going to study Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. And as we do, I think we're going to learn this, that having an eternal perspective will motivate us to live out our faith in Jesus with a lifestyle of good works. Having an eternal perspective will serve to motivate us to live out the salvation we have, to live out that faith in Jesus with a lifestyle of good works. Now, if you'll remember our context of this book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches here in Galatians, our passage today, chapter 6, verse 7 through 10, it really sums up a larger section of Galatians, which began back at chapter 5, verse 13. If you want to glance back at that verse, you could do so. Paul has been showing in this letter that God saves us through faith in Jesus and not through our good works. And we are free from the burden of trying to obey God's law in order to be accepted by God because Jesus has exchanged his righteousness for our sin. We're accepted by God not because of our good works, but on the basis of Jesus' righteousness through our faith in him. But this freedom is not a freedom to live however we want to live as we saw back in chapter 5, verse 13. Rather, our freedom in Christ is to be lived out and loving service to one another in the gospel community called the church as we walk by the Spirit. So as Paul br- brings this 
letter, uh, this section of this letter to a conclusion, he, he calls us to live in loving service to one another with a final motivation. And it is a beautiful and awesome motivation. This motivation serves as a wake-up call to those who are not taking seriously God's command to live in loving service towards one another. But this motivation also serves as an encouragement to those who are seeking to live out this command, to obey this command, to live in loving service to one another, but are growing weary, are growing tired as they are day by day serving the Lord. Let's look at these four verses. If you will follow along in your copy of God's word as I read Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 10. This is the word of God. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Having an eternal perspective will motivate us to live out our faith in Jesus, the lifestyle of good works. But remember, as Paul said in chapter 5, verse 16, it's only as we walk by the Spirit that we can live the lives that God has called us to live. Notice with me this morning two main truths we see in chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. The first is this. Walking by the Spirit means living with the end in mind. Living now with the end in mind. Walking by the Spirit means living right now, today, with the end in mind. In the first half of verse 7, we see these words. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Paul is basically saying, don't be fooled into thinking that God is not paying attention to how you're living your life on a day-to-day basis. See, some people in the churches in Galatia that Paul's writing to, they may have been boasting of how spiritual they were, while at the same time committing sins like we've seen Paul warn against, such as provoking one another and envying one another, or refusing to help bear one another's burdens as we looked at last week. And Paul is reminding them, and he's reminding us today, make no mistake about it. God is not mocked. He will not be mocked. This word mocked literally means to turn your nose up at someone. You ever been around somebody that kind of walks around like this? Maybe not literally, but that's the attitude of their heart. Well, that's this word mocked, to turn your nose up at someone. And the warning here is God is not to be mocked. We're not to turn our nose up at God. Uh, One translator uh, translated this verse this way. Don't let anybody pull the wool over your eyes. You can't turn your nose up at God. But what is it that they were mocking God about? What is it they were turning their nose up at God concerning? Well, the second half of verse 7 reveals a a basic principle about sowing and reaping. Notice the second part of verse 7. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. We see the word sow three times in this passage, and we see the word reap four times in this passage. Helps us know that this passage is about sowing and reaping. And it was probably a well-known saying that Paul was using, and he was using it in a Christian context. 
Paul wasn't the first to employ this analogy of sowing and reaping to explain that God is watching and paying attention to how we live and that God will respond accordingly. We've got some examples of the same truth in the Old Testament. Consider the books of Job and Proverbs, part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Job chapter 4 verse 8 says, As I have seen those who plow iniquity, that's another word for sin, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. In Proverbs chapter 22 verse 8 we find these words, Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity and the rod of his fury will fail. We can also see, not only in the wisdom literature, but we can see in the prophets this same analogy. Isaiah chapter 3, uh, verse 10 through 11, we see uh, Isaiah the prophet warning God's people of something, uh, the same thing that Paul is warning the Galatians of. Galatians chapter 3, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 3, verse 10 through 11, we find these words, Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked! It shall be ill with him. For what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. And again, the prophet prophet Hosea says in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12 through 13, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Because you have trusted in your own way. And the multitude of your warriors. You see, the Israelites back in the Old Testament were tempted to forget that we reap what we sow. The Galatians that Paul was writing to were tempted to forget that we reap what we sow. And I would argue that even today we can become tempted to forget that we reap what we sow. We can get so caught up in the moment doing what we want to do, what feels right, what makes us happy, what makes us popular, what keeps us from looking weird or different in the eyes of the world, uh, what, doing what comes easy or, or what is comfortable, that we forget that one day, one day we will have to answer to God for the lives that we live, the choices we made, the obedience or disobedience to God's word that characterized our lives. And we must make current choices with a view to the eternal consequences. Paul explains his use of this proverbial saying that we found in verse 7. What one sows, that will he also reap. He explains that in verse 8. He says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You see that your your, your flesh that Paul is talking about is that sinful part of you. We've seen him use this word in this way a few times already in this letter. If you look back at chapter 5, verse 13, which we referenced a few minutes ago, we find these words, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. If you go down to verse 16 of chapter 5, Paul says, But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then if you skip on down to verse 19 in chapter 5, we find these words. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. All sorts of ways that we gratify the desires of the the flesh. 
But notice the result, and that's really what Paul is focusing on here, the result of sowing to the flesh. If we sow to our own flesh, we will reap corruption. Or another way to say that is destruction. We can and should think about this corruption in two ways. First, I want you to consider the corruption that we would experience in the here and now as a result of our sin. In chapter 5, verse 15, Paul compared quarreling and strife to biting and devouring one another, which he said would lead to being consumed or destroyed by one another. You see, the attitude of pride that Paul then refers to in chapter 5, verse 26, results in provoking one another and envying one another, which would inevitably lead to corruption or destruction in the church, among the people of God. And there's definitely a corruption that we experience in the here and now if we sow to our own flesh, if we choose the sin. But also I want you to consider a second kind of corruption, a second kind of corruption that we will reap if we sow to the flesh. And, and I think that this second kind of corruption is, is the one that Paul is most focusing on here in this passage. It is the eternal destruction. This eternal corruption is eternally experiencing the judgment of God, which God describes in His Word as unending torture and unending separation from God in the lake of fire prepared for Satan and his demons with no hope of, re- of, of escape or of rescue. I would say that's corruption right there. I would say that's destruction Right there. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, we find these words. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those sins that are listed there in in that verse are examples of what Paul is talking about when he says, sowing to our own flesh. Now, our world, especially our society, doesn't like to talk about that. Our society doesn't like to talk about sin and sin's consequences. But sin is real. And the consequences of sin are just as real. Now, that's the bad news, but that's not all the news. It's not just bad news. There's good news as well. Paul says instead of sowing to our own flesh, we can sow to the Spirit. We don't have to, as Christians, sow to our own flesh. We can sow to the Spirit, the Spirit of God. That's another way of saying something that Paul has just been saying over and over and over. In chapter 5, verse 16, he said that sowing to the Spirit is like walking by the Spirit. The sowing to the Spirit in chapter 5, verse 25 was called keeping in step with the Spirit. Sowing to the Spirit simply means letting the Spirit of God in you control your life, govern your life. Instead of doing what your sinful flesh wants you to do, you choose to do what the Spirit of God in you is calling you and leading you and even commanding you to do. And just like there was a harvest that matched the first kind of sowing, that was the corruption that matched the sowing to the flesh, there's also a second kind of harvest that matches this kind of sowing, the sowing to the Spirit. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption, but if you sow to the Spirit... This passage says that you reap eternal life. Let's think about that eternal life for just a minute. I like to think about eternal life. I don't know about you, 
I love thinking about eternal life. Now, we can think about this eternal life the same way we thought about the corruption in two different categories. We'll start with the here and now. Sometimes we just think about eternal life as living in heaven forever, but actually eternal life begins the moment that we trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. In the here and now, we experience eternal life by having God's presence dwell in us through the Holy Spirit in us. And we get to experience right now victory over sin through the Spirit's work in us. Right now, if you are sowing to the Spirit, if you have the Spirit in you, if you have eternal life, you get to experience a joy and peace amid all the storms of life as the Spirit of God reminds us of the temporary nature of our present sufferings in light of eternity. In the church, not just think about it individually, but in the church, when we sow to the Spirit, we experience, we reap harmony in our relationships with one another. We reap genuine love, genuine service towards one another. But again, just like with the corruption, I think Paul is really focusing even more, not on the here and now type of eternal life, but on what is to come. You see, eternal life is not just having the blessing of God right now, God's presence in your life. It's also the blessing of dwelling in God's presence for all of eternity. Dwelling right there where God is. Looking at Him. A place where, as John says in Revelation, a place where there is no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more pain. Is that not good news? Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 13, Paul says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now let's pause for just a minute and make sure, make sure we don't misunderstand what Paul is saying. This is one of those verses where we could lift it out of the context and make it say something that Paul under the inspiration of God, never intended it for it to mean. What is Paul saying? And what do we want to make sure we understand that he's not saying? Paul is not saying that bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven. That's not what Paul is saying. You know how I know that's what Paul is saying? Not, not what he's saying? Because then no one would go to heaven. Because all of us are bad people. We all commit sin. That is a view of salvation that's totally wrong because it depends upon our works rather than the work of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, to provide a way for us to live with Him forever. It's a works-based view of salvation that directly contradicts the teaching of Scripture that says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing that you could do or that I could do that would be good enough for God to accept us Based on our good works. Let me go back to that verse I just read in Romans chapter 6 verse 23. It says that eternal life is a free gift of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not a works based salvation. It is a free gift. However, this free gift will result in a life that is characterized by good works. It is in this context that Paul can say you will reap. What you sow. Think about it this way. 
the only way that we could sow to the Spirit, that is, do good things, is if we have the Spirit in us. And the only way we can have God's Spirit in us is if God saves us from His sin, from our sin, excuse me. And the only way that God can save us from our sin, very clearly taught in Scripture, is if we place our faith in Jesus Christ. I want to read again Romans chapter 8, verse 13, and emphasize a phrase there. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, here's the phrase, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice that it's only by the Spirit of God in us that we're able to put to death the deeds of the flesh and do good works that bring honor and glory to God. Now maybe you're wondering, well, How exactly is it that I get God's Spirit in me? Well, Paul has told us in this letter that it's through faith in Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, he said that the Galatian believers received the Spirit by hearing with faith. What did they hear? They heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus. What did they place their faith in? They placed their faith in Jesus, the center of the gospel message that they had heard. If today you find that your life is characterized by sowing to the flesh rather than sowing to the spirit, the, the, the solution, the antidote is not to just try to stop sowing to the flesh and try harder to sow to the spirit. The solution is for you to believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, to receive that free gift of salvation, receive that free gift of his spirit in you, Simply by trusting that what he did on the cross was enough to rescue you from your sin. And you don't have to add anything to that. Then and only then will you be able to sow to the Spirit. See, you can't sow seeds that you don't have. I mean, that's pretty common sense, right? If you don't have the seeds, you can't sow them. Well, these seeds that we need to be sowing come from the Spirit of God. And if we don't have the Spirit of God... There's no way that we'll be able to live a life that brings honor and glory to Him. Now, notice back at the beginning of verse 7. Paul said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. As we zoom back out in these two verses, what we see is that we must live our life with the end in mind. It may seem, listen, it may seem, to you that right now you are getting away with your works of the flesh. You are getting away with sowing to your own flesh. You may think, oh, I can, I can live how I want. It seems to be working out just fine for me right now. All this talk about God's judgment, it just, it just seems foolish. God has bigger fish to fry than to worry about the pornography on my phone or the neglect that I am showing to my church in faithful attendance. God has bigger fish to fry than my refusal to share the gospel with people. God has bigger fish to fry than my gossip or my hateful words towards others. God has bigger fish to fry than me wasting the time and the life that he's given me on social media. God has bigger fish to fry than me being lazy and bearing with one another and so fulfilling the law of Christ. Paul would say to that attitude, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. 
consider the words of the prophet Jeremiah. While Jeremiah doesn't use the analogy of sowing and reaping in these verses, he clearly exposes the error of the Israelites' view of God, which is the same error Paul is warning about here in Galatians. Notice their attitude. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 11 through 12. For the house of Israel and house of Judah have been utterly treacherous to me, declares the Lord. They have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said, He will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. Notice what the people in Jeremiah's day were saying. These people who were choosing to live in opposition to God and his word were sowing to the flesh, as Paul says in Galatians, and they said, God's not going to do anything. They said, no disaster is going to come upon us. No famine, no sword. What were they doing? Turning their nose up at God. But God always has and always will have the last laugh, so to speak. You know what happened to those Israelites who said, Ah, we can live like this. God's not going to do anything. A short while later, God sent another nation to come in and destroyed them and carried those who were left off into exile, into a foreign land. God will not be mocked. You reap what you sow. The Spirit of God in us gives us an eternal perspective on life so that as we walk by the Spirit, we live with the end in mind. But notice the second truth in verses 9 through 10. Walking by the Spirit means persevering in doing good. Walking by the Spirit means persevering in doing good. That word persevering is another way of saying enduring or not giving up. To keep going, to keep going, to keep going. Whereas verses 7 through 8 were kind of like a kick in the rear end, if I can say that, for those who were being lazy and sowing to the Spirit. Hey, you'll reap what you sow. You better get busy doing the right thing. Verse 9 really is an encouragement for those who are working hard and submitting to the Spirit of God in them but feel tired and worn out. From all the sowing to the Spirit. To the believer who is serving God faithfully, Paul says, don't grow weary and don't give up. And again, he points to the harvest as motivation. Notice in verse 9, he says, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What are we to keep doing? Paul says, keep doing good. This doing good includes all the things that we're supposed to be doing as Christians. Of course, specifically in, in this context, he's talking about the good that we're doing to one another as we lovingly serve one another and as we bear one another's burdens and as we choose not to provoke one another but encourage one another. And of course, all the other things that God calls us to do as believers. But I don't have to tell you, Christian, doing good can be hard, can it? It can, it can be tiring. It can be wearisome. Paul is like the coach on the side of the track telling the runners, keep your eyes up. Focus on the finish line. Think about the reward. Keep going. Don't give up. Persevere through the pain and through the sweat and through the fatigue. But you know, let's be honest. One of the difficulties of this race of the Christian life is that we don't really know when that due season is. Right? I mean, the runner knows how many laps he has left around the track before it's over. The student knows how many more semesters or years or maybe days until 
he or she walks across that stage and gets that diploma. The farmer knows how many more months until the harvest will come. But as Christians, we're not exactly sure when that day will come when we reap what we have sown, when we enjoy the eternal reward for our labor. But even though we may not know the exact time, the Spirit of God in us will give us the strength to look ahead to the finish line and keep doing good. Look at verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In verse 10, we kind of have a summary of all that Paul has been saying in this section of his letter to the Galatians, which really began back in chapter 5, verse 13. And Paul says, so then, this so then at the beginning of the verse helps us know that he's making kind of a summary statement. In light of everything I've said, so then, let us continue to do good. All this talk of walking by the Spirit that began back in chapter 5, verse 13, has now culminated in chapter 6, verse 10, with Paul's main point. You ready? If you want to look back at chapter 5, verse 13, and then look at chapter 6, verse 10, and we'll put all this together. Our freely acquired freedom in Christ is meant to be lived out in service to others. Our justification before God that we didn't work for results in a life that is full of good works. Paul argued in the first part of Galatians that we don't work for our salvation, and he has argued in this last part of Galatians that our free salvation will produce a life full of good works. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But he goes on. And he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice that next phrase in verse 10, as we have opportunity. So then, as we have opportunity. This is the same word we saw back in verse 9 where it was translated in due season. So here's what Paul is saying. In due season, at the right time, we will reap the fruit of our labors. But... Because that one day is coming, that one day, that due season is coming, right now, this is the day to sow to the Spirit, to sow good deeds. There's coming a time of reaping, but now is the time for sowing. This, this, listen church, this is our opportunity to do the things that God has called us to do. It's our opportunity to plow and to plant and to water good deeds of loving service towards one another. One day our opportunity to serve the Lord on this earth will be over. One day it will. There's a point in a time for every person to die and then the judgment, the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, we must get busy living out our freedom in Christ toward loving, with loving service towards one another. Excuse me. But who is to be the recipient of our good deeds? I mean, even in this encouragement, Paul still issues a challenge. Paul says, everyone. Notice there in verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. You see, there's to be no favoritism in our sowing to the Spirit. There's to be no favoritism in our choosing to do good deeds towards others. 
Timothy George said this, whenever Christians have forgotten this primary datum or piece of information, a biblical revelation, they have inevitably fallen victim to the blinding sins of racism, sexism, tribalism, classism, and a thousand other bigotries that have blighted the human community from Adam and Eve to the present day. Listen, we don't get to pick and choose who we want to be good to. We don't get to decide after looking at someone whether or not they're worthy of our good deeds. We're to do good to everyone. The other day, my three-year-old was eating dinner, and like many three-year-olds, she was struggling with her vegetables, um, not leaving them on their plate, but getting them into her mouth. And uh, you know what I'm talking about. And so we were in that battle of, you got to eat this. I don't want this. we got to at least try it. Oh, I don't want to try it. Uh, I don't like this. And, and, and so uh, me and my wife, we said, we thought you said you were hungry. All right? We tried to play the hunger card on her, you know. Uh, we thought you said you were hungry. And she replied while looking at the food on her plate that she liked, I'm hungry for these foods. We did the same thing. We kind of chuckled at her logic. You see what she was doing? She was basing her whether or not she was hungry on what type of food she was looking at, when in reality, her hunger was not dependent on the type of food that was on her fork. I mean, you're either hungry or you're not hungry, right? But all too often, we treat our good deeds like my daughter was treating her hunger. If we like the person in front of us, we have an appetite for doing good to that person. But if we don't like the person in front of us, due to his or her skin color or status in society or past action toward us, all of a sudden we don't have an appetite for doing good to that person. However, if we're walking by the Spirit, we will persevere in doing good to everyone, not just those like us or not just those that we like. But, Paul says it's not just everyone, but he says especially to those who are the household of faith. You see, while we're to do good to everyone, those in the church have a unique, unique claim on our time and resources and energy because of the bond we share through the blood of Jesus Christ. If we can't do good to one another in the church, how in the world are we going to do good to everyone outside the church? I know. I know. Sometimes it's hard to be kind to people in the church. Sometimes it is. Uh, sometimes people get on our nerves. Sometimes we're different. We have different personalities. Sometimes people hurt us. But Paul says, look to the end and persevere. The only way the gospel community of the church will be characterized by good works toward one another is if we live with an eternal perspective, looking to the harvest. And that perspective is given to us by God's Spirit. While the church is to be full of good works, Paul ends this verse, this passage, with the foundation of the church. You see, while the church is to be full of good works, Paul calls the church a household of, you see it there? Faith. Faith. As important as good works are in the lives of believers and the life of the church, the church is called a household of faith, not a household of works. Not because works aren't important, but faith in Jesus is the spring from which our good works flow. Jesus, the object of our faith, is the foundation of the church. Our good works simply serve to build.
build up the church on this sure foundation. As Paul said in chapter 5, verse 6, what counts is faith working through love. Christian, let me ask you a question. Is your life filled with good works and service to one another for the glory of the God who saved you? If not, let this reminder that you will reap what you sow motivate you to get up from napping under the shade tree and get back out in the field, put your hands on the plow, and start sowing to the Spirit. Start doing good works as you walk by the Spirit. Now, if you say, I am, I am trying. I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect, but... I'm trying to sow to the Spirit. I'm trying to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm trying my best to serve God by serving the church. If you're investing time and energy into doing good to others, but you're growing weary, let this reminder that you will one day reap what you sow motivate you to keep going, to not give up, to not grow weary. Some of you, many of you, are serving tirelessly in our church. We have some faithful servants of God here in this gospel community. I know that sometimes you grow tired. Sometimes I grow tired. I grow weary in in trying to serve King Jesus. I love what Paul is calling us to do. Look to the reward that awaits and keep going. Keep going. Push through the heat and the sweat, and the fatigue, and keep sowing the seeds of, God, of good deeds. Serve Jesus until you see Jesus. And by God's grace, one day, we will reap if we do not give up. As we close, let's look at Paul, the one who's writing this. Not just his command here, but the example that he himself set. As he was coming to the end of his life, he was a prisoner For the sake of Christ. And he wrote these words to Timothy. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. In other words, every ounce of me is being poured out in service to the king. And the time of my departure has come. He's talking about his death here on this earth. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see what he's saying? My eyes are fixed on the end. I have an eternal perspective. And so I am being poured out every day in service to the king, looking forward to the harvest when I will reap what I have seen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to put into practice the words that we see in this passage of Scripture today. Father, if there is someone here who can't sow to the Spirit because they don't have the Spirit in them, because they never placed their faith in Jesus Christ and received salvation, Father, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation so they can begin a life of sowing to the Spirit. Father, for the Christian here who's just being lazy, And is it doing the things that you have called him or her to do? Father, I pray that this this reminder that we reap what we sow will serve as a wake-up call. 
to get back in the game. To start doing the things that you called us to do. Father, for the Christian who is faithfully serving you, but who is tired and worn out. Father, I pray that this passage would encourage them to keep going as they look forward to the eternal reward. In Jesus' name.